He looked up at me, startled, and seized me by the shirt front. Dispensing with subtlety, he slashed open the side of the tent and dragged me through it as the walls caught fire. Soaked from the outside in lamp oil, they were engulfed in flame in an instant. Stumbling in the dark, we staggered away from the heat and kept going, trying to distance ourselves from whoever had struck the light. Well, that touching reunion was short-lived. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's August 23rd, 2020. Today, we're discussing Chapter 10 of Conspiracy of Kings, in which Sophos almost gets set on fire, we meet the Mead, but not the Mead we met before, and there's quite a bit of yelling. I love this chapter. This is one of the chapters that I reread a lot. I feel like Sophos' narration is just so funny here. It's a lot of, like, Sophos has spent so much of his life being really afraid of his father and, like, respecting the mages as this grown-up person who would always know what to do and the mages and his father are both just screaming like children <laughs> so he just does like, not he, know he what to do he genuinely suddenly finds himself in charge like not just in name i don't know they take this king thing seriously like i mean we knew that that's not a surprise but at the end of the chapter i think sophos asks the magus uh, did you and my father ever discuss going to Atolia instead of to Malens? And the Magus says, like, oh, that's not a decision either of us could make. Only you, my king. So it's just, even though they've been telling Sophos what to do his whole life, he suddenly, they are 100%. If he tells them to do something, they'll do it. And his dad is really proud of him and excited about him being king, but also is a little thrown by that. Yeah, now he's like, oh, like, wait, oh. wait a minute. I didn't think about this. He can't argue with him anymore, which is just like, it's a complete 180 from their previous relationship, it seems. You go from being responsible for nothing to being responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to really believe in this whole divine right to rule or whatever if you're taking battle advice from your son who you think is useless and knows nothing about war, and then you go do what he tells you. It really makes me have more sympathy for, you know, how desperately his father wanted him to be a better prince and, like, to stop reading just poetry and, like... Yeah, the, the dad seems to have been the only person who really considered it a possibility that he would become king at all. Mm -hmm. And Sophos points out in this chapter, like, now uh, he's back with the Magus, he can ask questions again, and the Magus is taken up... Uh, his education again because Sofa says like if I had been a better heir and not solely focused on poetry I would have known all these things about politics and making war and so all the other times that I've read this chapter um, it says once when the meat is introduced and is like eavesdropping and then says won't you present me to your king he says it says uh the mead was pleased at the magus's discomfort and his saturnine smile showed it i don't know if that's how you say but google says saturnine saturnine okay um all of my other reads of this book i have never bothered to look it up so it meant something totally different from what i thought it meant i thought it meant like smug because you know he's just scored a point or whatever but it actually means gloomy of a person or their manner it means slow and gloomy or of a person and their features it means dark in coloring and moody or mysterious 
I think something that's relevant to the use of that word is like the Medes are ethnically othered. Mm-hmm. Like multiple times emphasis is put on how they're like bearded when the people from the little peninsula aren't and like, oh, the Mede he uses beard oil, like he's oily and foreign. And that we haven't really gotten a whole lot to like it makes sense that that's an attitude that these people would have but even when we were in the meat empire and thick as thieves we didn't really like ever get a more personal relationship with anybody who was a mead like Kamet has lived in the meat empire his whole life but he is definitively not a mead he mm-hmm. was from somewhere else yeah, he was from Cetra, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of difference. Mm-hmm. Not in the least because, like, Nehusaresh and Akretnesh, two different guys, they're both the Mede. Like, they, they're interchangeable, essentially. Yeah, and same thing with um, Melharet, I guess, is the other one we meet in this book. They're, they're all referred to as the Mede. And they all have essentially the same personality and goals. Yeah, it's made of... A point of that, like, they're all close-minded, they're all arrogant, they all think, like, in this chapter, I think Sopho says, like, you know, when he tells the Mede they weren't able to rescue his mother and sisters, uh, he narrates, like, oh, the Mede was horrified and stopped just short of saying that it's just what one would expect from barbarians like us. So. Yeah, and how much of it is that these guys are actually similar to each other because they're they're all doing the same job. And how much of it is the good old unreliable narrator? Because we only right. see them from the perspective of people who were politically threatened by them. Yeah, I think that's, you know, valid, relevant point to make. <laughs> There's one small detail in here that I've always been interested in. When the Magus is telling Sophos that his mother and sisters are alive, they know this because they received a written note. Sophos is immediately suspicious and says my mother neither reads nor writes is that you know common or typical for women to not know how to read and write it definitely seems to me like women have less of an access to education Mm -hmm. and it's also maybe generational like nowadays it's more possible for a girl to learn to read than it had maybe been however long ago And, like, we're probably living in a world where reading and writing is a pretty elite skill. Mm. Like, when Jen was trying to pass for a poor person, the mages assumed that his mother would have been illiterate. Mm -hmm. And I know Kamet thinks later in Thick as Thieves that, like, most of the court is illiterate. Although that is proven later to be false, but... Yeah, it is wild, because, like, she's rich so what else is she doing it's like her time Mm. (laughs) raising kids (laughs) needlework yeah i don't know man like when if you're a woman of that social status isn't your job kind of like to manage the household i feel like reading and writing would be really useful for that another thing we see in this chapter that gives us a little bit of more insight into how uh atolia and edis and sunas are all they share a lot of stuff, but they're distinct cultures. Is this idea of the baron's meat, which is introduced in this chapter, which Atolia doesn't have this, Edis doesn't have this. It's when somebody becomes king, 
all the barons have to meet and elect that person as king. And it's just a formality, <laughs> usually. <laughs> of course, it's going to be this huge plot point. Um, and that is an interesting detail yeah. to me. It's not a constitutional monarchy, but it's still a monarchy, but it's not really an olig oligarchy. Some sort of archy. Oh, whatever. And also, um, the idea of a regent gets brought up by the Mede. Which uh, kind of contradicts that whole idea that we talked about at the beginning of the episode where, like, Sophos is suddenly incontrovertibly in charge. Right. They could decide to have a regent, which Sophos's dad is super offended by. Yeah. Even which though is he nice. would theoretically benefit from it. Because wouldn't he theoretically be, like, a good option to be? <laughs> For the yeah. regent, you know? And then Sophos and the Magus inadvertently send the message to the Mead that if Sophos were to have a regent, it would be the Magus. <laughs> so he would not be a convenient puppet, so we might as well kill him. The Magus is like making faces. <laughs> and so there's all this talk about Melens and the Mead and Hanactos and Atolia and who are we going to ally with? And then there's Another assassination attempt. Just pepper that in there for fun. Uh, this one's pretty creative. Somebody covers the tent that Sophos is in in oil and sets it on fire. So, points for flair. And the Magus is convinced that it's Sophos's father's men. And it's mentioned at the end um, that the old Sunus had accepted... Need money to send assassins after Jen, which we saw happen in King of Atolia, but the Medes also offered like a protective alliance to protect them from Atolia and Sunus and his uncle chose not to go with that, but the barons did want the security of that alliance, so that's why the rebel barons were allying with the Mede. I think is what's up, right? Mm -hmm. They just wanna strap themselves right to those train tracks. <laughs> There's more on, like, the logistics of war and rebellion in this chapter, which is pretty interesting. It was, um... Money, money, money. Money, 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 money. And uh, apparently they use uh, solids, subits, and octari are the names for their money. His uncle was in debt 25,000 solids to moneylenders on the peninsula, which is... I guess the other peninsula, like Feria. Bronze cannon cost 10, solid to, 10 solids to the ton. Horses cost a subit a head. Horseshoe replacements cost three octari apiece. If you don't have money, you're gonna lose the war. You don't see that a lot in fantasy literature for children or adults. Mm. Yeah, I like that we get this glimpse of, like, this is what it actually takes. And speaking of money, we're gonna look in our bag of coins. We'll be right back. He slips in another little comment to Edis that they went right through the country of Edis without stopping, but that was only because they knew she wouldn't be there, so. <laughs> He's getting a little bit more confident. Yeah. The Magus said that a royal visit had been planned with Atolia and that the Megaron at Edis would be empty. And I love when they talk about the thief. Ah, oh, yes. It makes you long for simpler days. Mm. And Sophos remembers, like, when we went adventuring for Hemiathi's gift. So it's so, like, it was just a different 
type of thing. It was like it had yeah. a, it was an adventure as opposed to this, which they're running for their lives. <laughs> the stakes were really high in the thief, but they had chosen to go on the quest. And also, I think which is a whole different vibe. Yeah, in a similar vein, uh, Sophos and Jen were not in charge on that trip. But now Sophos is the one making all the calls. There's uh, a lot of little references in this chapter to, uh, like, he's <laughs> like, emotionally not cool with being king yet. He, the Magus addresses him as my king and it says, I shuddered at the address as if someone were walking over my future gravesite. And it says he flinches when someone calls him your majesty. And, like, he's not comfortable enough with his new authority to say we eat the chicken in the market, whatever. It's irreversible. Mm. He can't be not king unless he dies. <laughs> and they talk about Jen. They climb up the same route that they climbed up in the Thief. And it's much easier for Sophos now because he's bigger and stronger. My little boy. <laughs> and then they talk about Jen and how he complained about everything, but he never complained about the climbing. And Sophos says, so many things are obvious in retrospect, aren't they? And that sentence could sum up the entire series. <laughs> yeah, so many things are obvious in retrospect, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> After our talk about maps last episode, um, we got a comment on the Tumblr um, talking about a talk that Megan Wayland Turner had done talking about her inspiration for the Queen's Thief map that we have. And there are a couple of um, types of maps that are kind of source material. And so if you want links to those, we will share them on the Tumblr. Um, also, this commenter reminded us of a passage from Queen of Atolia, which says, the maps depicted Sunis and the islands off the coast. Edis and Atolia were represented as well as more distant countries. The farther the countries from Edis, the less accurate the maps. They had been painted more than a hundred years earlier and were more decorative than useful. So, the maps are also in-universe and also have their own perspective and might be an unreliable narrator. So thank you for that comment. I haven't thought about it that way. Yeah, so very exciting. cool. Very cool. The message says, Now look at the Queen's Thief map and compare the size of the, quote, greater and, quote, little peninsula. And then says that about the false narrator. So that would explain why greater and lesser are those labels on the peninsula, because that always bothered me, you know, that the greater peninsula is actually the smaller one. Mm -hmm. But that would be why. That would make sense. I'm very satisfied with this explanation. chapter 10 next time bandits send us your comments questions thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com be blessed in your endeavors <laughs>
This has been an amateur emergency production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.